0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I have a confession to make. I'm not very good with poetry.
1: I've got a question for you. Are psalms a form of poetry? Yes, yes they are.
0: In fact, they're a form of Hebrew poetry, which means that instead of rhyming words, the focus is on rhyming ideas. As you may have already guessed, preparing for this sermon has been quite difficult and confusing for me these past few weeks. I can only hope and pray that the fruit of that study is glorifying to God and useful for you. With that in mind, I have a little story adapted from something I read in a book for you today. One day, a bridegroom and bride were reminiscing about the past, both the highs and the lows. During this conversation, the bridegroom confidently said something that could be considered quite controversial. My love, I have safely carried you over all the potholes, speed bumps, rumble strips, and milled surfaces of life's
1: road. What do you suppose her response was? Indeed, love,
0: and I seriously doubt you've managed to miss even one of them. Doesn't the Christian life feel like this sometimes? As if God brings us through pain and hardship over and over and over again. As we learned earlier this summer from Psalm 23, God even leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. But you know what? He doesn't leave us there. Not only that, He's with us the entire way, guarding us and comforting us in our distress.
1: Please follow along with me as we read through God's word for us today. Psalm 48.
0: A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, In the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great King. God in her palaces, has made himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves. They passed by together. They sought. Then they were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth. The east wind, you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen In the city of the Lord of hosts,
1: in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Selah. We have
0: thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise, the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her, count her towers, consider her ramparts, go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For
1: such is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us until death.
0: Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this beautiful morning that you've given us. For your people whom you've gathered here today. For the gift of your word, your love letter to humanity. Father, open our hearts and our minds to receive
1: what you have for us today. Let my words be glorifying. Have you ever felt
0: like you were under attack? That you were helpless in the face of your circumstances? When I was growing up, I faced attacks from my female peers over the course of years and in every place that I lived. These ranged from chucking rocks and swinging sticks, attempts at emotional manipulation, mean-spirited teasing, treating me like a slab of meat to be purchased at market or a trophy to be won attempting to get me kicked out of school because i refused to play along with their silly games the worst part of it was that unlike male bullies that one could clock to get them to shut up there were few options for responding to this abuse as you can imagine this worked wonders for my sense of identity. Yet, even through the pain, God protected me, provided friends to help me endure through the trial, and has done much to heal my heart in the aftermath.
1: I didn't realize it at the time, but God was protecting me in the midst of that suffering. In the first few verses of the psalm, we
0: see a description of the city of Jerusalem and the God who reigns over it to protect it. Jerusalem is described as beautiful, a beacon of joy for the world, the city of the great king, the king of kings, and a sanctuary of holiness located on a mountain in the far north. Take note of this language because we're going to come back to it later. We also learn that God is most worthy of praise, because He is the great king who bestows beauty on the place that He lives, and who serves as both the defense and the defender of Jerusalem, his home and his people. Over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, we see examples of God defending the tribes of Israel, his chosen people. For example, Exodus 14 tells us that when Israel was fleeing Egypt under Moses' leadership, God, in the midst of the pillar of fire and cloud, stood between the Egyptians and the Israelites as they prepared to cross the Red Sea, scrambled Pharaoh's forces as they pursued Israel towards the other side of the Red Sea, and in the morning drowned the entirety, not just part of it, all of it, of the Egyptian army to protect his people. While we don't know for sure which historic conflict served as the inspiration for this psalm, we can say for sure that the psalmist is celebrating because God has once again seen fit to defend the blessed city
1: called Zion. Have you ever felt defeated? Like everything has fallen apart and there's
0: nothing that you can do to fix it? Or like you've done everything you could do and things just didn't work out? During my college years, I went to a summer training program down in Jacksonville, Florida. During this time, we trainees went out on the beach and shared the gospel with the people who were there. While others reported God at work, bringing lost souls to himself through their simple obedience, I never got to experience that joy. I obediently testified to what God had done in Christ, but the only response I ever got was, no thanks, I'm not ready to cross that bridge yet, or I've already heard that from someone else. God has promised that his word never goes out in vain, that it always serves its purpose. Yet, it's hard to labor without seeing any fruit grow. Another time, when I was still in college, two of my good friends, godly men both, came into conflict with each other and went their separate ways. This happened. I sought to make peace between the two and bring about a reconciliation. But despite my best efforts... They were unable to come to terms. To my knowledge, that hatchet has still not been buried to this day. In both of these situations, I felt as though I was totally defeated in spite of doing what God wanted me to do. In these next few verses, we learn about Jerusalem's enemies moving to attack the city, and about the God who defeated those enemies. Zion's enemies included multiple kings working together as one to finally, finally win against Israel. However, once they came within sight of the city, their bravery evaporated into terror, despair, as they stood amazed in the presence of the glorious God who fought to defend Jerusalem, for tucking their tails between their legs and fleeing before the fury of his just wrath. We then hear of God, the commander of the angelic armies of heaven, and the personal, intimate God of Jerusalem's citizens, using means both natural and supernatural, to win the victory and reveal himself as Zion's victor. Again, the Old Testament shows us that Time and again, God has fought on behalf of his people to win the victory. For example, not only do we see him fighting for the Israelites during the flight from Egypt, in Isaiah 59, the prophet tells us how God has taken him upon himself to intervene for himself, our first people, by putting on a breastplate of righteousness a helmet of salvation, garments of just vengeance, and a mantle of zeal for taking the fight to his enemies. He took the time to put on clothes, put on a cape, put on armor, put on a helmet, just so he could go pick some booty. I mean,
1: this wasn't just some, you know, off-the-cuff thing. It was very intentional. What a crazy picture, you know? Getting dressed to go take it to the enemy. Yes, church,
0: the Bible tells us that God is a mighty warrior who will always be victorious. No wonder Romans 8 tells us that if God is for us, none can stand against us, and that we overwhelmingly conquer through Him not just a, oh, we barely made it. It's not just a, by the skin of our teeth. It, there's no question. The victory is ours because of God's work already. The psalmist has cause for confidence that God will protect Zion forever because God has never failed to win. If he decides to enter the fray, the outcome is clear. Therefore, Though I have experienced the pangs of defeat, I know I can find rest in healing the presence of the one who reigns victorious over every twist and turn that rears its ugly head
1: before me. Have you ever felt lost or confused?
0: As if nothing makes sense? Or as if you have no clue where to go next? Right now, I have no idea how long God intends to keep me here in Hastings. What housing opportunity to pursue, which replacement car I should trade for, how best to serve, bless, and get through to dear friends that have turned aside from Christ and embraced self-destructive lies being fed to them by the false prophets of this age. Or a million other concerns that burden my heart and mind sap away my strength and my joy. He has previously seen fit to show me the heights of joy in him and in his creation, and then to lead me through valleys of sorrow and confusion for his name's sake. Though I haven't a clue where I'm headed, I know that he is truth, that he's taking me somewhere, and that apart from him, I have nothing of any lasting worth. I continue to follow where he leads. This doesn't make the journey any easier, less painful, or more sensible. It does mean that I have a
1: destination that will be worth enduring the waves of this life to experience. This
0: passage ends with commands for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, meditations on the God in whom Zion glories and exults, Citizens of Jerusalem are to celebrate God's victory, take full stock of how he is their true safety by observing that the numerous towers, ramparts, and palaces are unmarred by war because God prevented the enemy from even approaching that close. And then tell the upcoming generation that they can trust God. God, God, our God, is abounding in loving kindness and justice. He lives up to his infinitely glorious reputation. This ought to be praised
1: throughout the world. Finally, God, the intimate God of the people of Zion forever and ever,
0: he, the guide of His people, through life into death,
1: and then beyond death, much like the shepherd of Psalm 23 I've got another question for you. Has God always continued to live in and protect historic, earthly Jerusalem? Anybody? Anybody? No nerds? Fine. No. No, he is not.
0: Ezekiel 9-11 records the departure of God's presence and protection from Israel, leaving it vulnerable to attack by the Babylonians, He to capture the city, tear down the walls, carry many of Jerusalem's citizens to exile. Once again, in A.D. 70, Jerusalem underwent destruction and devastation, this time at the hands of the Roman army. So then, when this psalmist declares the protection and establishment of Zion forever and ever, he can't be simply speaking of historic Jerusalem, can he?
1: So, what is he pointing to By using the picture of the city of Jerusalem symbolically.
0: The clue that caught my attention is in verse 2, where it says Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. In the days of King David, Mount Zion stood at the north end of the city of Jerusalem, yes. However, Mount Zion was never at the north end of the kingdom of Israel let alone anywhere near what could literally be called the Far North. This is a pretty clear indication of symbolic, possibly prophetic language being used, no? What is this language symbolizing then? In Isaiah 14, we see similar language being used when it depicts Satan declaring his desire to take God's place in heaven. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend
1: above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Aha, we have a break in case. This poetic,
0: symbolic language of the far north, or the recesses of the north, points towards God's heavenly throne. Now,
1: where is the last place we see God's throne mentioned in Scripture? The book of Revelation speaks of God's throne being located in the new Jerusalem,
0: a place where heaven and earth become united. This city, forever home of the saints, arrives once the gathered armies of the enemies of God and of his people attack. They're devoured by fire from heaven, finally wiping out the last of these enemies. This last battle ushers in the final judgment, the wedding feast of the Lamb, and the eternal peace when God himself will wipe away.
1: Every tear and lasting joy will take root once and for all. This new Jerusalem is the promise of the new covenant purchased in
0: blood for all those whose names are found in the Lamb's book of life. This new Jerusalem seems to be what the psalmist is symbolically and prophetically pointing towards As he proclaims the safety and establishment of Zion forever and ever. If indeed this is what the prophet is pointing towards, we must ask ourselves how does
1: one enter into this blessed city? Church, the path to the new Jerusalem, the true Zion of God, leads past a bloody, empty cross, one that looked a little like that one up there, past a silent, empty tomb, defeat the
0: once crucified, now risen and glorified Savior, whose name is Jesus. It is His blood which has initiated the new covenant, and it is His resurrection that has proven his victory over sin, Satan, death, and the world system.
1: He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. In order to enter the true Zion, you must trust that everything that you are and
0: have on the claim that, Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, that He died the death that we deserved,
1: and that He rose again victorious, proving that He could raise us too into new life in him. What does all of this mean for us today?
0: We don't live. In the historical reality of Old Testament Jerusalem. And we certainly haven't received the promise of the new covenant yet, have we? No.
1: We are currently in between the past and the future in this present experience. So, is there any comfort for us from this passage today?
0: Yes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we know that He is still the defender, victor, and guide of His people today. Further, we know that He zealously guards His home and people. And Scripture tells us that the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in those who have trusted in Him for salvation so we can be confident that he will guard, guard us throughout the trials sufferings of this life, guide us all the way through death unto life eternal, just
1: as he promised us, as he already won the victory on our behalf. Because
0: we know these things to be true, we can put them to work today,
1: this week, this month, this year, this lifetime. When we are in the midst of suffering, feeling attacked, helpless, defeated, hopeless, lost, or confused, we can remember God, our personal, intimate God, our our victor. let's cry out to him defend us our enemies win the victories that we need to guide us to where we need to when we emerge from the suffering and remember
0: that God our infinitely beautiful and glorious warrior God our defender our victor and our guide (laughs) Let's testify to all that he has done in and through us, to anyone who will listen, but especially the next generation. At all times, we can remember that God, our loving, righteous God, is our defender, our victor, and our guide. Let us thank him, praise him always, protecting us.
1: Beating the enemies of our souls, leading us by the hand through every circumstance. Dearly Father, I thank you for these beautiful, beautiful words. Thank you that we can trust in you to protect us, to win the battles that we cannot, and to guide us. In the paths that we don't know. Because, Father, apart
0: from you, you would never be able to make it anywhere. We would never
1: be able to survive the onslaught that faces us every moment of every day. So, Father, fill our hearts with praise for you. Let our affections be stirred up by the truth that You love us
0: more deeply than we could ever know. Let our minds be set on fire by the truth that You are a glorious, mighty God who fights for His people. Let our hands be quick to serve because we know that obedience to You will always be rewarded with the true victory, your victory. Because all that we do for you, it will have a purpose. It will have meaning. Thank you for winning our victory. Thank you for defending us. Thank you for guiding us.